Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Get your Bibles out. We're going to go in a little further into this Kingdom Come series that we are in, which is meant to be life-altering. God is doing something in us that is changing us, that's transforming our understanding. And I just believe that there is a new season. I was thinking this morning even, I was also looking at the flowers. Um, And just for those who are wondering how long we're keeping the Christmas trees up. I call them winter trees. However, (laughs) we seem to be having sudden spring. So if anybody would like to help this week, they're going down this week. And we'll we'll shift into prepping for uh, springtime. But, you know, we just... um, There are seasons in the the spirit, and I was thinking about how interesting it is that the word talks about the new wineskins and the new wine. And so we can relate that to like, well, what what is the new wine? What is the new wineskin? What is, you know, when God says, behold, I do a new thing. Well, new, like when? Like, have we experienced a new thing? Is there a new, new thing? Or is there, have we had the new thing or whatever? Here's what I believe. I believe that there is consistently new wine. I believe that there is consistently intended to be a new wineskin to contain the new wine. I believe that God is always doing a new thing. And one of the reasons that he he does is because he's a creative God. There is always something new in him. And I believe part of the other thing is that we people try to contain and control what we know. And so God's always doing something new. So we stay fresh with him and we're always pressing into the new thing. And so the kingdom of God is not a new thing, but how we are understanding it in this season, I believe is meant to be a new thing. And God is revealing to us how he wants us to experience him. The goodness of God, the purposes of God, the plans of God, the thoughts of God, the heart of God. And and however it comes out, What we do know for sure is that God is always and only good. We will lean into the the revelation, we'll lean into the understanding, but we have to have the foundation that he is good. And so Lord, today we just thank you that as we go into the word, that there's next level revelation for us today. There's something new today, God. Even if we've been in church for years and years and years, there is a new thing that you are doing. There is a new wine that we can partake of, God. Lord, we step into the freshness of the relationship with you. Forgive us, Lord, for ever thinking it's just same old, same old. Forgive us, Lord, if we've gotten lazy in the relationship. We desire you. We want you more. We want to know you. We want to hear your heart, God. We want to hear your voice. We want to experience your fullness. And so, Holy Spirit, we just ask you to shake us up today to receive what you have for us. And we receive it by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, today we are getting into, this is part four of our series, and we are talking about kingdom identity. And identity is uh, something that is so core. We, you know, we talk about it all the time in different packaging, but identity is the who we are. It's, it's the how we, how we explain ourselves, how we reference ourselves to others, what people see in us. Like your identity, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that the, the guys have these sound effects when they talk about man stuff. Um, I don't really know what the women announcement should sound like, but I feel like we grunt too. Um, <laughs> I 
not sure what that is, but you know, we did definitely have the announcements today. So the men's are called into service. It's it's good. But what do we what do we identify as? Who do we identify as? And the big thing that we're gonna challenge today is the thing that you check off on your paperwork with the government. It's the thing that you you answer when you're talking about where you want your tax money to go uh, as far as schooling. It's the, the question that straight up is, are you religious? And if so, which religion? And you check off Christian. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be a member or a part of the kingdom versus being the blanket statement of Christian? I actually, when I get the option, unless I'm filling out actual paperwork, I, act, I just say I'm a believer. I don't, I don't usually use the term Christian. Why? Because Christian has been so misused over history in so many ways and so many, uh, so many um, you know, abuses, things that have gone on that are nothing like who Jesus is. And so I, I kind of just, that's how I say it. I say I'm a believer. And a believer in what? I'm a believer in Jesus. And I'm, I'm following him. You know, the original church, they were just members of the way. What, what does that mean? Well, Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. They were, they were following the way. And they didn't call themselves that. So we want to break this down and just find out what it is that we're part of, who it is that we're part of. One of the things that I, I will say, and I mean, I'm very aware these days that sound bites can get taken out of context, but I would say religion is dangerous. Religion is dangerous. Why? Because Jesus never came to bring us a religion. Religion is man's packaging on a perceived understanding of who God is, and it's flawed. There has been a lot done in the name of religion that is not done in the name of Christ. And we need to go back to the basics if we're going to experience the fullness of what he's got for us moving forward. So I really personally hate it when people say, oh, well, you're religious. I hope not. If I am religious, I feel like I need to repent because religious is a weird package and I am in a relationship with Jesus Christ and he motivates everything I do. The difference between a religion and a relationship is a religion tells me these are the must-dos or these are the must-not-dos, and if you do or do not do those things, there will be punishment or there will be approval. Relationship is a give and take. It, it's when I do something that hurts the heart of, of God, I'm convicted, and I don't want to do it anymore for love's sake. It doesn't mean now I'm going to be punished because I've done this horrible thing. It means, wow, God, I'm so sorry. Thank you for showing me. And one of the things Wayne and I were talking about, there's a lot of things we hate about getting older. <laughs> That's another message. But one of the things that we love is we remember, you know, kind of growing up in the church, both of us, youth group, church world, um, we remember the rules. We remember the what we can't do, what we should do, what, what we must do, what we mustn't do. We remember every time when we first got married and the offering basket came around. We don't do that just for sanitation reasons now, but we still believe in giving. Um, but we used to have to work that out. It was like, oh, can we afford to tithe? And we'd, we'd work it out. And then we got into some teaching that kind of was really legalistic, honestly, that was like, you have to if you want God's hand on your finances at all and whatever. And, and we just, we just kind of had this twisted thing. And so if we tithed and then we had a bill come in that week, it was like, well, God didn't show up. This didn't work. And it was just this weird thing. And now we're just like, we're so grateful to be old enough 
that we understand the instructions of God are always for our good. And we just don't, we don't question them nearly so often anymore. It used to be like, why? Why? That's a two-year-old thing to do. Really, at, at 32, you probably should stop the whying and just go, okay, I trust that God's instructions for me are for my good. And there's a benefit. There is a life on the other side of it. That's the difference of religion and relationship. So we want to make sure that we walk through this through God's eyes. The other very tricky thing, and this is one of these, this really, um, if you pause and think about it, you'll see why the, the blanket of I'm a Christian can be problematic. And it is the fact that the original church was only called Christians by outsiders. So the, the, the first place is Acts eleven twenty six, and it says that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And they were called Christians, which literally simply means a follower of Christ or a Christ-like one. So it shouldn't be an offensive term. It wasn't meant that way at the beginning, but it's morphed. But at the beginning, because the early church looked like Jesus, because they acted like Jesus, because they followed Jesus, people saw them from the outside and said, oh, that's who they are. They were evaluating the fruit of their lives. And the fruit of their lives looked like Jesus. Now, does everybody who you know who names themselves as a Christian manifest the fruit of Jesus right now? Probably not. It didn't happen right from the beginning. You know, that first, the first generation of, of men and women who walked with Jesus, who knew what he was like, they experienced his character, they experienced his nature, they experienced his love. And they went out and they carried out what he did. They loved one another as he had loved them. They, they immediately, Acts, Acts 2 to 4, we see them living out the fullness of Jesus in them. They just acted like him. And it was beautiful. But we know that even by the end of the book, by the time there was the revelation that we see, there was a lukewarm church that had boxed up everything into lists of do's and don'ts and had become lukewarm, had become cold, had missed the purpose. It, it really, in a, in a short period of time, we see, we see why Paul has to come in and he has to say, who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? How does this happen? People get involved and it started to be less about the fruit of the relationship that we're having with God and more about that this is what we should do and here's the laws that we should put on it and here's the rules that we should put on it. And what happens is the non-believers begin to tell the believers what they should do. Well, if you're a Christian, this is what you should be doing. And I'll just be really honest. This is without trying to offend anybody. This has been one of my biggest issues with the last couple years that we've walked through is how many people have told Christians how Christians should be in this season. And, you know, most of the time it comes from either people who have not, they are not walking with the Lord, or they really are under a heavy religious spirit and the rules that they hold themselves to are the rules that they think everybody should live by. And at the end of the day, my relationship means I am going to stand before God one day and I need to be clear about this and give a defense for how I've lived this life. So my, my response as a Christian or a Christ-like one needs to be, am I prepared to stand before Christ 
and, and explain myself, explain what I've said, explain what I've done. It's a slightly different thing, but what happens from the outside is that we pick up these rules, we pick up these regulations, and if, if we um, don't do it, people are offended, people are hurt. It means that how we live our lives, as, as we're meant to be kingdom people, but sometimes doing the right thing then ends, ends up being the product of religion or an imposed behavior expectation than it is about of love. So why do I do the right things? Why do I choose to walk in kindness? Why do I choose to walk in mercy? Why do I choose to pursue justice? Why do I choose to defend freedom? Why do I? It should be a product of the relationship I have with God. And ought I have to because this was the rule book that I got handed with my salvation card. You know, the whys of it. And so what happens is, you know, I remember growing up, uh, you know, our family lived out our faith. But a lot of people, I remember, you know, teenagers, you don't, you don't ever want to be the weird one, right? You don't never want to be the one that stands out in the crowd. But, oh, you probably don't want to do that because you're religious. Oh, yeah, you probably don't want to come to this because you're religious. Oh, you probably don't want to, you, you probably aren't interested in this kind of music because you're religious. Why? Why was that package there? Why was, like, because as a kid, as a teenager, what that made me feel is like, no, I totally want to because I don't want to be left out. And, you know, there's no, there's no Bible verse that says I can't do that or there's no reason I can't. And it, it created this conflict within me, which is quite different than as a young person deciding I want to do what is right in God's eyes so that I can live the best life possible. Like Wayne and I were talking about the, 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 the thing that comes out, you know, teenagers, it's like, well, you know, you're religious, so, you know, you're not going to have sex before marriage. You're, you're religious, so you're not going to whatever. Do you know how healthy it is, what a gift it is from God for us to live in a monogamous relationship and not have physical health issues, not have emotional trauma, not have brokenness and a trail of pain behind us. That's not God saying there's a religious rule that you must follow. It's God saying, I want you to have the best life possible. Here's the healthiest way to do that. We have to understand that our relationship with God is outside of rules. There's a, there's a, a way that we live when we're in relationship with him that bears really, really good fruit. So the product of a kingdom culture is manifested to those who receive the gospel of the kingdom and not the gospel of religion. There has to be this shift. The product of kingdom culture is manifested in those who have received the gospel of the kingdom and not the gospel of religion. Remember when Jesus came, his first words were repent or change your mind, change your thinking. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not change your thinking because here's the new rule book. He was inviting them into a kingdom, into a relationship. Religion has membership. Religion has requirements that, that have this, this um, place that if you do the requirements, you're part of it. If you don't do the requirements, you're not. A kingdom has citizens. It's quite different. It's not about behavior then. It's about identity. And we have to strip it back to the identity that God's called us into. I, I am personally so seriously excited about this. I know if you're not like quite getting the kingdom thing and how it's different yet, it might be a little bit boring. And especially when you hear, we're not quitting on this until it sinks in. 
But I believe this is a life changer. This is literally, this is a game changer. It doesn't mean that we live like the devil. It means that if we're part of the kingdom of heaven and we know the king, the fruit of the king comes out of our lives and we, we suddenly live in the good stuff anyway instead of trying to make the good stuff happen by some defaulty uh, source that we've, we've stepped into. And so let's just look at Romans 8, 15 to 17 again. I think we pulled this one up a couple weeks ago. But it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So I did not join a religion. I did not join a church. I've stepped into a family. I've stepped into a kingdom. And I have a father. Now, for some, I know your natural fathers, this becomes a problem for you. This is a good father. The father of lights. He, he is every good and perfect gift comes from him. He is the, the epitome of perfect love. And so this is what I have. Abba, father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, here we go, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I become a child of God. I'm just going to say sons of God because that covers all of us. It's like mankind. I'm not into the whole humankind thing, whatever. Um, we're sons of God. We're the children of God. And if we are, we are heirs of God. We actually have access to what belongs to the king. We have access. Everything that Jesus accessed, when we read through the Gospels, we get to access too. We're joint heirs with Christ. Now, this is not some, some list of stuff that we tie into. This is relationship. As an heir, you know, if you got the phone call that some distant great-great-uncle died and left you a fortune, you're not going to sit there and debate it with him. You know, the lawyer calls you and you're like, oh, I don't see how that's possible. I don't, I mean, I didn't even know him that well. I don't think, I, are you sure that's my name on there? I don't think that's my name. You should look around and see if anybody else can, you know, would be interested in that. For, you're going to be like, thank you. This is the best phone call ever. When you said yes to Jesus, you became part of God's family, whether you think you deserve it or not. And you become a joint heir with Christ, whether you know how to access it yet or not. You get to tap into something that is not about how good you are or how little you do or do not screw up. It is about his goodness. It's about his love. It's about what he paid for. We step into the kingdom as sons of God. This is our identity. Uh, you know, are you a Christian? Well, yes, but I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a child of the king. You know, I mean, you don't want to get super weird with people, but this, on the inside, you need to know that. When our, our government does the surveys and when they, when they map out, you know, what is the population, they separate us to, you know, there's, there's people who are not religious in any way. There's Muslims, there's Hindus, there's Christians, there's blah, blah, blah. Packaging us. You can't package it. I am in relationship with God. That's different. It's just different. When we had the, the, um, 
Some of the lockdowns that happened at the beginning, um, you know, the, the first uh, three months of COVID, there where everything was shut down. And I remember being on some of the ministerial calls across the province, and it was for all, you know, church leaders and whatever. And I remember hearing people who were speaking on behalf of Christians, and, and because we know what they're connect, it was like these are not people who know God. They have a title. They have a position, but I, I'm very sure they don't have a relationship. And so it's not fair to lump us all in the same responses in your school system, in your work situations. What is your relationship with God doing in you? What does it mean to you? How do you portray it? What do you speak about it? What are people experiencing about God through you? We don't want to just have the blanket assumption. The differences between religion and kingdom are motivation and source. Motivation and source. So first off, motivation is the why. Religion, the why. Why God? Why change? Why learn? Why obey? It's usually so that I can obtain favor with God. So that I can earn my way into some sort of experience with him so that I can please him. I have this why that's, that's dictated my behavior and it's just a little off. The other thing is the source, the who. Who am I seeking? Whose love? Whose approval? Whose measurement? The difference between religion and relationship on this one is that if I'm looking for the approval of man, I cannot please God. That's what the Bible says. If I'm after the approval of man, I can't, I can't please God. I have to be after his approval. God, what blesses your heart? What, what touches you? What, what do you want from me? What do you see in me? How can I honor you? How can I worship you? The, the who of it, the why of it, the packaging. It might look the same to people on the outside, but you know the heart. And I think God's bringing us right back to the core thing of the, the, the foundation of our faith. It's kind of like the, you know, Valentine's Day tomorrow. I always feel sorry for men on this one because the, the advertisements on this are so too much. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's, there's this picture of what it is you should get your woman for Valentine's Day. This is what she needs to get from you. And it is entirely possible that she doesn't want any of those things at all. She wants something entirely different. Now, what is going to be a successful Valentine's Day for you? Getting her what it is marketing tells you she wants or giving her what she says she wants. One is relationship, one is religion. If you can look at it that way, right? What does the marketing tell me that I should do versus I've met with you? What do you want me to do? Some women would far rather you leave the $120 flowers behind and actually take an hour out of your time, turn your phone off, turn your junk off, and spend some time with them. That's free. All the men are like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to keep my wallet right where it was. <laughs> I'm not saying all women. I'm saying relationship. <laughs> If we're in a relationship, I want to know what you want. 
I want to please you. I want to love you. I want to be in this relationship. Miles Monroe says it this way. If we're, not too, if we're not careful, we can identify too strongly with their label and fall into the trap of trying to live up to their expectations. Whose expectations? The people who think you're a Christian. We should stop trying so hard to live like Christians and instead work, work harder at living like sons and daughters of God. Isn't that good? It basically, why? I, I actually had people contact me um, during this past season and say, your, your stance on things is offensive to, un, to the unsaved. Meanwhile, we've had people come to Christ every single week in this past season. So it might be offensive to some who are not saved yet, but... I'm going to stand before God one day, and I'm very aware of that. And I know that there's some people who needed to find him in this season. And maybe this was the best way. I'm not saying everybody has the same packaging. I'm saying my relationship with God, it dictates how I engage with him and what I do, how I live my life. So it's rooted in whose I am. I know who I am when I understand whose I am. We did a, a paper a couple weeks ago. We still got a bunch around the church if you haven't picked one up yet. But who does God say I am? And it says stuff like this. It says, I'm created in God's image. I am God's handiwork. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am redeemed. I am justified. I am free from condemnation. I am forgiven of all sins. These are all scripture-based, right? This is not just your positive confessions. This is scripture. This is what the Bible says about you. I have been given a new heart and a new spirit has been put in me. He has called me out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And I am part of the body of Jesus Christ. I am complete in Christ. I am loved. I am a citizen of heaven. It's about whose I am. I am not any of those things on my own. None of us is more lovable more lovely, more worthy than anybody else. But because he is the lovely one, because he is the worthy one, because he is the beautiful one, because he's the powerful one, and he lets us come into this through his great mercy, through his kindness, I get to say that's who I am because of whose I am. John 15, 5 is where Jesus is talking about the, vi the vineyard and the vines. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. I, I'm not going to sit there and try and be a really good branch. I'm going to work very hard to stay connected to the vine. Because anything that comes in the vine comes out through me then. I get to experience it. I believe in Christ, for instance, there is a... There is a shift. Let's just talk about addictions, for instance. I believe that outside of God, breaking loose of addictions is exceptionally hard work. 
I believe even in God, it can be hard work, but I also believe there's grace and God helps us in our weakness, that there's a place of freedom, there's a place of safety, that God comes in and he gives us new identity and the things that we've been hanging on to that are life-sucking are replaced by the one who is life-giving and our chances of success are far higher in the kingdom. It's things like poverty. It's, it's, you know, we can learn to budget and we should learn to budget. We're going to actually talk about money in a couple weeks. Um, We need to be good stewards. But there's a difference between I learned a good budgeting technique and I believe that everything I have comes from God. And so he cares about where I spend it. And so I'm going to partner with him and ask for his wisdom on every dime that leaves my hand. And I believe that he is my provider and it is his pleasure to give me the good things of the kingdom. I'm going to, I'm going to tie into that. It's different. It might look the same on the outside, but you know the freedom on the inside. And so this is what we want to tie into today. And we're going to look at just one um, passage that I think is game-changing. It's actually the most well-known parable worldwide. Any guesses? (laughs) Okay, we don't know. Everybody's like, "Uh." the prodigal son. The prodigal son is a phrase that even has been picked up by mainstream media um, and and, uh, arts and entertainment. You know, there's TV shows and there's movies and there's all kinds of stuff. And essentially, it's usually about the, it's like the black sheep of the family. You know, we have this picture that, that is out there, out there, that just basically says there is the possibility of being such a disappointment to your father that you live life in a different direction. But... We're going to walk through this today, and, and I believe that you're going to see that the elder brother who stayed home, if we're talking about disappointment, was more of a disappointment than the one that left. But religion has been packaged through the eyes of the non-believer, and we need to go back to the source on this one and find out where we sit on it. So if we could just pop this picture up, I want you to just see this, have it in your mind, you can draw a little picture in your notes if you want to. But there's three, three things, even though it's the, the story has two sons in it, there's three types of relationships that we see in this particular story, the son, the servant, and the stranger. And so we're going we're gonna to walk through these, and the goal is that you would identify where you're at with it. Um, Leif Hetland talks about the three chairs, if you read any of his books. And essentially, it's not that we're, we're all the way in one all the time. Sometimes we migrate. Sometimes we're like musical chairing it, like constantly. And we don't know where we're actually supposed to be sitting. So we're just like sitting down, and then we move, and then we sit over here because we're uncomfortable, and then we feel awkward because people are looking at us. So we move to this chair, and we're all over the place. And God wants to establish us so that we can be seated in heavenly places with him. And so we're going to pick our seat today. You in? All right. Okay, so we're going to look this up. Um, The first one that we're talking about is the son. So just to give you a reference, the perfect understanding of a son in the kingdom of God is not based on you. Super helpful. Have you ever noticed if you are in the delivery room at the hospital and a baby is born you know, the mom gets congratulations. Oh, you did such a good job. Dad gets congratulations. Oh, you must be so proud. Nobody ever says to the baby, good on you. You came out. <laughs> well done for pressing it on. You know, nobody, nobody ever congratulates the child because the child is just chosen to be there. 
It's, it's the same thing happens with being the children of God. We get to be the children of God, not because way well done on our part. We just, we just say yes to him and we get to be. And so the first thing that we see about the kingdom is when, with Jesus, right? When he's beginning his ministry and you see that he has to follow through the same things that we all do. And so he's baptized by John the Baptist. And then this moment happens, Matthew 3, 17. And it says, and suddenly a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus has done nothing at this point. He's lived his life. I mean, he's, he's, he's been a good guy, but he has done nothing kingdomy. He's done nothing, you know, to live out his ministry. He's done nothing right in the church. He's done nothing to, you know, lead people to the Father. He's just lived his life. And the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Have you ever noticed when you're in an environment where you know you are accepted, you can just relax? Like you just, you feel safe. If you feel, we've all had the thing where you go to like a company Christmas party and you don't know anybody and you're worried about embarrassing yourself or your spouse or whoever. And that is the very reason you say endless stupid things. Maybe that's just me. But there has been more than a few times Wayne's like, oh, wow. But you know, why, why, why does that happen? Because I don't feel comfortable there. I don't, I feel like, you know, for us, Wayne used to work in the oil patch. And so the, the Christmas parties and everything used to be in the city, like Calgary. So we'd fly down. We could never afford a plane ticket. It was jackpot that they flew us somewhere. We could stay in a hotel. We could never afford a hotel. They put us in nice hotels, downtown Calgary. Um, and then we go for a meal at some place where we didn't know any of the stuff on the menu. And there was way too much cutlery right off the get-go and instantly you start to just sweat like there is a pretty much 100% chance we're gonna screw this up so and you you're very aware that they think they shipped the hicks down from Grand Prairie you know for this party and so we're working so hard to not embarrass ourselves that we embarrass ourselves um or I did just you know my thing but when you're in that place where you're with the people that you love you don't say the same dumb things. You don't do the same. Dumb, you just are. You just, you just get to express yourself. You get to express your heart. You get to be who you've been made to be. And this is the thing that I think God wanted us to see right off the bat with Jesus. Was it wasn't because he was doing anything. It's because he was. It's because he was loved. Every one of us, if, if you don't get anything else today... God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. That if you would believe on him, basically if you would say yes, yes to the relationship, everything changes. And we go in a moment from being beggars to being sons of God, daughters of God, children of God. We don't understand it, but the spirit of adoption brings us into the family and says we are now joint heirs with Christ, heirs of God. How does that happen? I don't know. But if I don't accept this, I won't walk in it. 
We talked last week about our experience of the kingdom is directly related to our surrender to the king. In other words, what he says about me, I have to just take it. I have to just surrender into it, and then I will experience what it's like to be part of the kingdom. I will experience what it's like to be a child of God. So Jesus experienced this. Now let's roll over to our prodigal son portion here. This is where it's going to get really good. So you know what a son looks like. You know what that, it's that I'm not earning anything. I'm not driven. I'm not failing. I'm not successful. I mean, if you feel like you deserve a hero cookie from God because you did something right this week, you don't get it. If you feel like when something bad happens in your life, it must be punishment because you did something wrong, you don't get it. He's a good father. He's a good God. And he loves you no matter what. So in this story, it's Luke 15. And we're just going to dig it out today. We're going to start at verse 11 and just kind of read the whole thing and then pull it back just a bit. It says, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered together, uh, gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he had come to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, for I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but he was still, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time, and yet you've never gave me a young goat that I make me marry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours comes, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. And we're just going to walk through this you know, briefly here, the concept of the son is easy. The concept of the son that Jesus models for us is this thing where like we just get to say yes to God. But then we see this next thing. And this is what I call the stranger, or if we put that picture back up again, it's chair three. 
which is living for the world's systems. So the concept of chair one or that sonship is it's rooted in just being a child. It's rooted in being a child of God. The concept of chair three or the stranger is it's living for the world's systems. And this is where we've seen some of this disconnect even in this past season. Why do I, why do I keep bringing it up? Everything is shaking. This is a gift for us, actually, because we can see where we are rooted. We can see the foundations. We can see our belief systems. We can see our relationship with God. For mankind in general, we have experienced taking the glasses off, and we can see what's really there. And for some of us, it's terrified us to bits. Some of us, it's drawn us right into the presence of God. And some of us are still struggling. And so in this, we, we have seen some of us have become strangers, So if we look at this just a little bit, again, we'll pick out the verses, verse 14 to 16. So look back, Luke 15, 14 to 16. So we know that the son had, he had everything. He felt entitled. He felt like, you know, I deserve to give a, to live a good life. I deserve to have the good stuff. I deserve to have a quality kind of existence. And I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I don't want anybody, I don't want to stay here under your roof and have your rules. This is really like the one who just says no to God, period. Maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you've never experienced it, but ultimately the answer is, I don't want what you got. I want the good stuff of life, but I don't want the relationship, I don't want the structure, I don't want to be under your rulership. And so then it says, when he had spent it all, There arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Some of us will never come to God until the bottom falls out. Do you know that? Some of us will be, I'm fine. I'm fine. I can make it myself. I can make my own money. I can do my own thing. I can make my own decisions. I am a self-made man until the bottom falls out until the market crashes, until pandemic happens, until the laws change, until you know, some medical diagnosis that we can't control. When the bottom falls out, something happens. And so what does this guy do? The bottom falls out. Verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Religion has members, kingdom has citizens. This man decided to join himself to a citizen of another kingdom. Are you with me? Where do we run when things are hard? What do we attach ourselves to? Where do we put our hope? Where do we put our trust? Where do we put our expectation? Is it in the kingdom of God or do we attach ourselves to a citizen of another country? Do we connect ourselves to something that is from another place? This is big. Now, we're talking about the difference not not between locational geographic countries. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdoms of this world. We're talking about do I, when things start shaking, when the bottom falls out, do I put a draw on heaven or do I attach myself to this realm? Do I lean into what's going on here? Do I put a draw? Do I put my trust, my hope, my expectation in this realm? Or do I put a draw on God? It is the difference between the kingdom of heaven or the kingdoms of this world. So basically, he attaches himself to this world. We could put it that way. 
to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now, before he left home, he was a prince. He attaches himself to another system, and he gets treated like a slave. This world is not out to bless you. There is God who comes to give you life and life abundantly, but the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Why is it that everywhere I go, something is trying to ruin my life? It's the nature of this kingdom. It's the nature of this realm. And so this, this place where he attached himself treated him as less than he was, right? Some of us, why do we have such a hard time believing what God says about us? Because we've listened so long to what this kingdom says we are, who this kingdom says we are. But God says you're something else entirely. This is why we pray and declare these I am statements. What God says about me, that's truth. Whether I've experienced it fully or not is irrelevant. It's the truth. And I have to have a shift in my thinking. And so he attaches himself to this guy who sends him out to his fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. This is the nature of this world. Nobody will give you anything, therefore what? I get it myself. I make it myself. I'll fix it myself. I'll do it myself. I'll look after myself. I'm guarding myself. I'm protecting myself. It's the nature of this realm. And so it goes on and it says in verse 19, I am, I'm going to rise to my father. And he says, I'm going to say to him, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I am a failure. I have screwed up. I've done it wrong every day of this past year, these past 10 years, these past 20 years, my whole life. I am not worthy to be called your son, but I would be really happy if you would just let me be one of your hired servants. If you would let me just come and be near you, if you would give me just enough, if you would give me, you know, I know that your servants have their needs met and I, I, just, I just need to, I'm not saying that I need a lot, I just need my basic needs met and I'd be happy to work for you. Any of you in your walk with God, that's how you feel. I just, I'd be happy to work for you. I'd just be happy. But here's the thing. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put him on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. You might be willing to come to God as a servant, but he will only accept you as a son. Like, let that, let that sit on you. For all the times you've come to a church meeting and you felt guilty, all the times you've opened your Bible and thought, I, I'm not even worthy to take this in. 
I know what I've done this week. I'm so sorry, God. I'm just, you know, thanks for even letting me be here. You go to worship, and that little voice of the accuser tells you to stop being such a fraud. I know what you did last night. Put your hands down. And because of the permeation of religion in our society, we'll put up with that voice sometimes. We'll be like, yeah, you're right. I don't deserve it. I mean, I just... It's why some of the really religious systems that demand some form of penance or payment feels better to us because we feel like we can earn our way back into favor. But the reality is the father will only accept you as a son. Can you imagine what it felt like for that young man who had been sitting in the pig slop, wishing he could eat the pig food, betrayed by everything he had just attached himself to. I mean, the, the hookers, the, the partiers, they were happy to be with him while he had money. And as soon as the money was gone, he's in the pigsty, abandoned by all. And the next moment, he's standing there in the embrace of the father who says, I'm, I'm not, not hearing a thing. It's like when we come to God and God says that he forgives us and he throws our sins as far as the east is from the west and he doesn't remember them anymore. We have a really hard time grasping that. We're like, but, but if I could just explain to you what I've learned through this, if I could just let you know, like, I'm just, uh, I mean, I, I was a really rough year, Lord. I just, I, just, I just need you to know. No, God's like, if you repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, as my kid, we're just not talking about this anymore. That's a massive leap of faith for us. Do you know that? Most of us, I mean, I'm just going to say, growing up in the church, this is a struggle for me. Religion is everywhere. And it feels normal to us. But it's not normal to the kingdom of God, and it's not normal to our king. You, when you come home, and you say, I would just like to be like one of your hired servants. God's like, no. Come on, kiddo. Let's get you some new clothes. Let's get you a meal. Let's celebrate. I'm so glad to have you home. And you just carry on in his love. Isn't that phenomenal? Isn't that amazing? But here's the trickier one. And we're just going to pick up a little bit further here. It's the servant. And we know that we, we see the stories. There's two sons and two sons. But we see a different pattern of what's going on here. See, the second son, he was a stranger, but he became a son. So he moved, if we could put that picture back up again, he moved chairs. He was a stranger, and he moved from that green chair over to the first chair. He skipped. He was like, I'll be happy. I'm in, the, I'm in the stranger chair. I'll be happy to be in the servant chair. And the father goes, no, keep going. I'm putting you in the son chair. We're skipping that chair entirely. We're, we're moving in. Now, here's the other one, the other son who actually has the, the, the biological connection. He's the son of the father. He belongs to be in the son chair. He chooses to sit in the servant chair. Now this 
is what is most familiar to us. This is the stench of religion. So this is the elder brother. Chair two, this is what we would call living for God, not from God. In other words, everything I do, I'm trying to make God happy or not make him mad. But I am meant to live as a son, which means out of my relationship for him, I do what pleases his heart. I do what he says is best for me, what's healthy for me. It's coming out of relationship. I live from him. It's a big difference. And so the passage is, the brother comes back and the party's happening. And then if we pick up in verse uh, 25, it says, Now the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, he should be excited, but he's not. Verse 26, so he called one of his servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Religion. Just because you're actually sitting in this house, I'm, I'm, I'll address this. Do you know, uh, Jonathan mentioned how we've got like the videos from the messages the last couple of weeks going out everywhere. Do you know that there is a nonstop stream of comments about a female pastor being of the devil? And they're almost always from religious people. In fact, almost always from women, actually, who are probably under religion. And so this comes out and it comes out on repeat and it's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of, and, and pick a topic, but that's just the one that kind of plagues our church, just so you know if you're here. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you should know what people say about you. <laughs> but um, he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, and I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. Now here's one of these phrases that I think we need to grasp. He says, Lo, verse 29, lo these many years I have been serving you and I never transgressed your commandment at any time. In other words, he's a son who chose to see himself as a servant. And it gets bigger than that because when the prodigal son comes back and he says, I'm gonna ask my father if he would make me like one of his hired hands. He literally means like an employee. It's, it's a, the word that is being used is like a paid position. I would come and work for my father rather than live in this lifestyle anymore. The word that the elder brother used is when he says, I have been serving you these many years, literally means to be a slave and to be in bondage. That's the breakdown of the Hebrew. He's not saying I've been working like everybody else in the field. He said, I have been here working like a slave for you. And you never gave me nothing. I have been working like a slave for you, meaning against my will, but it's what was necessary. And I didn't transgress against you. I've been doing all the right stuff. Oh. Do you know why we ask for volunteers in this house? What, you know, we, we actually purposefully say we have an opportunity to serve. is not because... You're a Christian now, you need to do stuff at the house of God. We get to be part of this family, and so we voluntarily come and we serve one another, and it's completely different than what this man said. This man said, I have to. I'm a slave. I work like a slave for you, and what do I get out of it? 
See, this is, what, this is what religion wants us to think. If I don't do the right stuff, if I don't produce the right things, if I don't show up enough times, if I don't put in enough effort, God's not gonna want me. And if I am doing it, he owes me. You know what happens then? You pray for somebody who you wanna be healed and they don't live. I did all the right stuff, you owe me. And we suddenly have problems with grief. We suddenly have problems with provision. We suddenly have problems with all the stuff that we think should have gone one way and didn't. And I did all the right stuff. Screw that, I'm leaving church. This stuff's just garbage. I would present to us, if we can be baited into that mindset, we possibly have religion and not the relationship that God wants us to have. Because at the end of the day, I'll tell you myself, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday, like I've had more deaths in my life in the last two years than the previous 30 years. And the reason that I cope with that is because I trust God. I know he's only good. I know his plans are only good. I know that there's a hope and a future. I know that there's something that's just on the other side of this very thin veil that I'm gonna be part of forever. I know that there's people that are already there that are cheering me on, that we, we are worshiping, that around the world on a Sunday, there, there's people worshiping around the globe and we're all just joining the sound that's already around the throne, that it's part of something bigger and I trust God. But if I felt like I had a religion, then I would say, do you know how many hours I spend at this church? Do you know how much I have poured into other people? Do you know how many things I have prayed to happen in other people's lives and you didn't answer this one thing for me? I quit. And if I did, all of you would be like, was she even saved in the first place? <laughs> Let me tell you how this works in the kingdom. There is no better status in the kingdom. God expects the same things from my relationship with him as he expects from your relationship with him. So the same way I can't throw a fit and march off this stage, you can't throw a fit and walk away from God. The relationship that you have with him is precious. It is not conditional. It is not based on what we do or do not do right. But when we feel like I have worked for you and you never gave me anything, I slaved for you and you never gave me anything. Do you know what the father said? Verse 31, and he said to him, son, he didn't even address the you've slaved for me thing. He's like, let's get back to relationship here. Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. Meaning what you're experiencing or not experiencing is not because I'm withholding from you. It's because of your lack of surrender to the relationship and you need to change your mind. See the party that the prodigal got to experience, the son could have had 
on any day. It was available to him. Why we can't experience, I mean, some of us are like, I claimed that promise, I claimed that promise, I claimed that promise, I wrote it out and I put it on my fridge and I had it on the driving, the steering wheel in my car and I declared it every day and it didn't come true. Didn't come true. The Bible, claim your scriptures, you blab it and grab it, people. This is not, I, I did the stuff. And God's like, son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. But let me present to you, I believe religion will lock us out of what the relationship wants to give us. And God's calling us into that kingdom place with him. And so let's just pop that picture up one more time. The question is today, which chair do you most commonly find yourself sitting in? Which chair do you most commonly find yourself sitting in? Just look at this. I, I found myself, I've been meditating on this for quite some time now, and I find myself bouncing from time to time. I know, I know that I belong in the sun chair. I know it. But I choose occasionally to bounce into the servant chair when I am deciding to do things for the wrong reason. When I'm, when I'm, misapplying the promises of God when I'm, I'm making sure that I do my Bible reading because, you know, I've committed to a Bible reading plan and now I'm three days behind and I've got 27 chapters to read. And, you know, anybody else you started in January, you're like, oh, it's too far. It's, I'm too far behind. You know, just start with today's verse. That's a bonus. You know, the servant thing, I can find myself drift into this place when I, when I'm, you know, not understanding that I just get to be with him and everything is just like when I'm, I'm not, I'm not able to trust because, you know, most of us are pretty strong-willed people. When I trust you, I trust you, I trust you, God, and I'm going to help you <laughs> just a little bit because I feel like maybe you could use a little coaching on the best way you could provide for me. And so I'm going to, you know, all that means is I'm, I'm just bouncing chairs a little bit. And I, I need to learn to stay in that sonship chair. I need to plant myself in that. I need to decide that if I'm going to experience anything else, I have to go back to what Jesus experienced, which was this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased outside of what I do. Now, does that mean that we get to live just however we want and whatever? No, so don't freak out and say she's teaching heresy. We'll get to that. But there's a culture of the kingdom that's just a product of living with the king, right? It's like when, when people come to Christ and meet him for the first time, we don't stand people up here and say, okay, and now you need to give up this, 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 this. You need to start doing this, 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 this. We say, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. He's the gift of the father to you. Are you willing to say yes to him? Are you willing to let him forgive your sins? Are you willing to start living in that relationship with him? And then you know what God does? He fixes it. He cleans it up. It's really, it's really not. But religion would say, well, you know what? If you're going to church, here's the top 20 things you should know. Like, you know, I want to be, I want to be that kid 
you know, who's like Jesus, when he said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. When it was tax time, Jesus was like, oh, guess we don't want to offend anybody. Catch a fish. You know, oh, we need to feed these people. Ah, let's just do it. Let's put a draw in heaven and we're just going to break fish and bread and feed everybody and, you know, thousands of people. He just, oh man, he had compassion on the crowds and he just started ministering to the sick and the broken and it just came out of him. Why? He's the son of God. So which seat are you sitting in? If you're very regularly in either of the ones other than a son, I would suggest today, that we are gonna pray a prayer of repentance and it's time to get yourself up and park it elsewhere, right? And for those of us that have just been playing a little bit of musical chairs, God will help you. We will submit to this concept and God will help us and you will find yourself in the hot seat and realize, oh, my bad, sorry. Learning, learning to like this chair, learning that I belong in this chair. Even if I don't feel like I belong, I belong in this chair. This chair has my name on it. It has my name on it because it has his name on it. Let's stand together this morning. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Does that help? A little bit, does that help the shift in your thinking? It helps me too. We're going to get into, we're going to, we're going to get into kingdom culture. We're going to get into kingdom finance. We're going to get in talking about kingdom relationships, all of that stuff. But if we don't understand this basic stuff at the beginning, we won't be able to lay hold of it. But I believe God's wanting to pour out exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask, think, or imagine according to that power that works in us. So we need to step into it. I'm going to lead you in a prayer this morning. And just ask you to repeat after me, you know, for anyone that you just, well, all of us, let's just pray it. I think most of our rear ends are too familiar with probably some of the other seats that we shouldn't be in. And God wants us to know that we are seated together with him in heavenly places. That's what the word tells us. So let's just pray together. Father God, I come before you today in awe of who you are, of your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. I'm so grateful that my salvation is not dependent on me, but it's because of your goodness towards me. And so God, today, I ask your forgiveness for any place where I have fallen short of your best for me. In salvation, I ask your forgiveness for any and every sin. And I thank you for your cleansing and your forgiveness. And God, for the idea of being a servant or being a stranger, I ask your forgiveness for grabbing onto it in wrong ways, at wrong times. And God, today I choose to be your child. I choose the spirit of adoption. I choose to call you Abba Father. And I choose to lay down false expectations 
false ideals and I choose the relationship that you're inviting me into. I ask today for a fresh revelation in every day, in every decision that I would live as your child, not just living for you, but living from you and living out of this beautiful relationship. I offer you all that I have, my open heart, and I thank you for receiving it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Whoa! Yeah, come on. Come on. I want to challenge you this week to just keep that picture in your mind. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, the things that come against you, picture in this moment, in my reactions to this moment, where am I sitting right now? Where am I sitting? What does God have to say about this? I'm going to stay in that spot. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.